Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is technically still, it is Wednesday, November 6th. It's Wednesday night. You will not hear this until tomorrow, which is, I guess, Thursday, November 7th. Um, I want to be very clear. There's no Jimmy Garoppolo film analysis today. I decided to move it to next week. I was looking at the schedule ahead, and there's a, there's a little tiny insignificant game <laughs> uh, on Monday Night Football between the 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks, and I really want to include that in the film analysis. I the, the goal of the video, I'm in no hurry to finish the Jimmy Garoppolo film analysis video. I want to get it done soon. Um, but I really want to, the goal is to figure out how good Jimmy Garoppolo is. That's a really big game on the schedule for the 49ers. And it, it will impact, I think, how I feel about Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm going to move it to next week. I'm really excited for that. Um, I'm leaving in the morning for Cal Berkeley. Uh, me and my buddy Sean are getting in the car. We're driving down to California. Uh, we're touring the Pac-12 networks on Thursday. I guess that's Friday. And then on Saturday, we're broadcasting Washington State versus Cal I'm really excited. We're live streaming that on Strong Opinion Sports, the YouTube channel there, uh, the audio-only version. That'll be 4 p.m. Pacific time on Saturday. And, uh, man, I- I'm just so excited for this week. I want to start today with this. Um, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about the Browns and thinking about the Chicago Bears, and a lot of people have shared their thoughts about Matt Nagy and all this stuff. And it's really funny when you compare the Chicago Bears and the Cleveland Browns I think they have opposite problems. (laughs) In my opinion, the Browns have a coaching issue. And the Bears have a quarterback issue. (laughs) It's solvable if you could just put the two heads together. You can't. Uh, If you paired the Chicago Bears head coach, Matt Nagy, with the Cleveland Browns quarterback, Baker Mayfield, I believe that would be a successful pairing. I really do. Um, They could solve each other's problems. It's kind of sad and heartbreaking to look at that from that view. Um, you know, I did a film analysis video about both quarterbacks. I did one about Mitchell Trubisky, did one about Baker Mayfield. I promise you, I'm very informed. You can go watch my videos if you don't believe me. I've watched every snap they've played this year. And, um, you know, Matt Nagy, the head coach in Chicago, is dialing up fantastic play calls. Uh, and his quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, just misses all the time. He either misses guys who are wide open or he doesn't understand the matchup. He doesn't see guys who are wide open. It's, it's horrendous, and it's really hard to watch Mitchell Trubisky play quarterback in Chicago. You know, and I think, I really believe Matt Nagy is a good head coach. Here's the thing. If you give a really good chef rotten meat, there's nothing they can do. There's nothing a good chef can do, no matter how good they are, no matter how talented they are. If you give a chef rotten meat, they can't, they can't work with that. Now, I'm not saying Matt Nagy's perfect. I'm not. Uh, you know, when you watch the Bears and Saints game, the Bears ran the ball seven times. That's inexcusable. That's horrible. That's a complete oversight by the coach. Uh, I understand you can argue, well, the Saints' defense is really good at stopping the run. But in my opinion, that's, that's a mistake Matt Nagy made. He should have run the ball more. I, there's a, a concern people have that he doesn't run the ball uh, frequently enough. I, I tend to agree with that. I'm not arguing that Matt Nagy is a perfect coach. But what I am saying is that the majority of the blame goes on the quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. It's so funny, you know, <laughs> I mean, people forget so quickly how good of a coach Matt Nagy is. He won the NFL Coach of the Year last year. How can a guy go from NFL Coach of the Year one year to suddenly people want to fire him? The problem is Mitchell Trubisky. The reason why Matt Nagy 
got that award was because people were so impressed at how well he did coaching despite the fact that Mitchell Trubisky was his quarterback. Somebody had better throw up the white flag. Mitchell Trubisky is a sinking ship. It drives me nuts. I, I don't know, man. And while I'm on this, by the way, uh, people say that Matt Nagy is failing at his job. And then the, the, the debate becomes, is Matt Nagy's job to fix Mitchell Trubisky or is it to win football games? And to me, <laughs> Matt Nagy's job in, in Chicago is to win football games. That's why he was hired. That's why he was brought in. We don't know. When Matt Nagy accepted the Chicago Bears job, we do not know whether he liked Mitchell Trubisky or not. We don't. Maybe he viewed Mitchell Trubisky as an obstacle to overcome. But, you know, a guy offered his first head coaching job to coach at Soldier Field in Chicago. Of course, no matter who the quarterback is, Matt Nagy was going to take that job. So is Matt Nagy failing his job? His job is to win. And I don't think Matt Nagy can win long term with Mitchell Trubisky. Mitchell Trubisky is the problem. Now, Now, the Cleveland Browns have the opposite issue. They have a quarterback that I like who's not perfect, similar. Matt Nagy's not perfect. Baker Mayfield's not perfect. The Cleveland Browns are 2-6, and six, and some of that is because of Baker Mayfield. He's got a tremendous amount of interceptions. It's a really bad look optically when you look at how many commercials he has. But the, the parallels between Matt Nagy and Baker Mayfield are very interesting and kind of hilarious. You know, last year, Matt Nagy had a lot of success. Last year, Baker Mayfield had a lot of success. They're also not perfect. Baker Mayfield's interceptions bother me. Some of the stuff he says bothers me. Some of the things that Matt Nagy does, not running the ball, that bothers me. But just like the majority of the fault, in my opinion, is not on Matt Nagy in Chicago, the majority of the fault is not on Baker Mayfield, the quarterback in Cleveland. In Cleveland, it's the opposite issue where Freddie Kitchens, the head coach, is the problem. Now, Freddie Kitchens seems like a cool dude. I read a funny article about him, about stories where uh, talking about him as a backup quarterback at Alabama and how dude just liked to sling the rock and was funny and Freddie Kitchens doesn't seem like a bad person. He seems like an interesting, fun guy. But he also does not seem to be capable of managing the situation in Cleveland. He's done awful stuff. Baker Mayfield can play. I know. I've seen it at times. I did a film analysis of him last year. There are some flashes of Baker Mayfield. Do you go, that's a fantastic play. He's regressed. Why? Coaching. The offense that Baker Mayfield is playing in is the problem. Freddie Kitchens, his play design is the problem. There are too many long developing plays. Their offensive line is not good enough to block for that kind of stuff. And Cleveland has made zero adjustments. It's really funny. People are excited. They're getting Kareem Hunt back this week. Well, not back, but they're getting Kareem Hunt off of a suspension this week. And everyone's like, oh, Kareem Hunt, what's he going to do in Cleveland? And I honestly don't have any faith that Freddie Kitchens knows how to use Kareem Hunt. Because I watched the Cleveland Browns and... He has no idea how to use Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> they're not targeting Odell Beckham Jr. in important downs. They're not, it's, they're totally mismanaging Odell Beckham Jr. Now, I've also said, I've been critical of OBJ. OBJ has some drops. Yes. OBJ has not been perfect. No, everybody bl- has some blame they need to take accountability for in this situation. OBJ is partly to blame. Matt Nagy's partly to blame in Chicago. But, you know, Mr. Dubisky's partly to blame. Freddie Kitchen's partly to blame. Everybody has some blame, 
But in Chicago, the majority of the blame goes on the quarterback. And in my opinion, the majority of the blame needs to go on Freddie Kitchens, the head coach. The play design is inexcusable in Cleveland. It's really funny. In Chicago, you have a really good chef trying to cook rotten meat. It's not going to work. And then in Cleveland, (laughs) you have a chef who has no idea what to do in a multi-million dollar kitchen, and he's trying to microwave steak. He has no idea how to use the tools at his disposal. It's really sad to me. You watch, (laughs) if Baker Mayfield was paired up with Matt Nagy, you know, the, the, the Cleveland Browns quarterback was paired up with Matt Nagy, the Bears head coach. I think that coach and quarterback combination would work. But as it is, they're like ships in the night passing each other. Matt Nagy has great play design, getting wasted with a terrible quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. And Baker Mayfield's great talent is getting wasted by horrible play design in Cleveland. You know what I think the Bears should do at quarterback? They should draft Jalen Hurts, quarterback out of Oklahoma. If you want to keep Mitchell, you can. Keep Mitchell Trubisky, keep him on the roster, whatever. But I do not believe Jalen Hurts is going to be one of the top quarterbacks drafted in this upcoming NFL draft, in the 2020 NFL draft. Tua is going to get drafted, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow. And the guy forgotten about is Jalen Hurts. The guy forgotten about in the NFL draft two years ago was Lamar Jackson. He was the last pick of the NFL draft in the 2018 NFL draft. Four quarterbacks went ahead of Lamar, then Lamar got picked. Is it possible Jalen Hurts follows a similar trajectory and goes to Chicago? Because, man, Jalen Hurts is going to fall within reach of the Chicago Bears if they want him. He's going to fall. He's not viewed as highly as Herbert and Tua and Joe Burrow. And Jalen Hurts... With Matt Nagy as his play caller designing plays, that could work. I believe in that. Here's why Jalen Hurts reminds me of Lamar Jackson. It's not the way they run the ball. They run the ball very differently. Jalen Hurts likes to lower his shoulder. He runs over guys more often. Lamar Jackson's way quicker. The, the, The speed with which Lamar Jackson can get to top speed is unbelievable. Just because they're running quarterbacks doesn't mean they're similar running quarterbacks. But the the similarity I see and the trajectory I think that they could follow together between Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts is if you get Jalen Hurts a team and a coach that wants to build around him and create an offense designed to suit his strengths, that could succeed. That'd be phenomenal. Jalen Hurts is an elite leader. He's a leader of men. I guarantee you, you put Jalen Hurts in that Bears locker room, confidence is instilled in him. He's got way more presence. He's got way better people skills. He's a way better leader than Mitchell Trubisky is. I I believe in Jalen Hurts. I think that'd be awesome. Jalen Hurts in Chicago could work. Having creative play calls, you know, paired with uh, a a quarterback who could actually finally execute Matt Nagy's offense. Oh my gosh. Chicago. That's all they want. They just want a quarterback who can execute the game plan that Matt Nagy creates. Jalen Hurts is maybe a late first-round quarterback. He could fall into the second or third round. But the dude can play if. He's not the most talented passer I've ever seen. He's not. Neither is Lamar Jackson. Jalen Hurts doesn't have a, a golden arm. I've seen guys with far better arms. But if you build an offense around Jalen Hurts' ability 
both running and throwing and take advantage and use his legs and design it that way, that could work. Jalen Hurts, by the way, has never been injured. And you pair the Bears' defense with Matt Nagy's play calling and Jalen Hurts' leadership, ability to run and throw at times, the similar way, this is why they're similar. right? Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold have, I think, better arms on paper, at least at the NFL draft, at the time of the NFL draft, I watched Lamar Jackson, Sam Darnold, and Baker Mayfield and went, Baker and Sam have a better arm than Lamar Jackson. Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Tua, they have better arms. They have more arm talent, accuracy, velocity, whatever you want. They have more arm talent than Jay, uh, Justin, Hur- uh, Justin, what is his name? Jalen Hurts. But Lamar Jackson in Baltimore is winning games because they built an offense around his skill set. You could do the same thing in Chicago, and that could work. I'm excited by that. Um, I, I think you know that look, Jalen Hurts could be the steal of the NFL draft if some team has the foresight to build an offense around his skill set. Okay, uh, if you don't know, you can now buy Strong Opinion Sports shirts. They're available only until November 25th. If you want a Strong Opinion Sports shirt, go and buy it now. Go to shirtsforyourpeople.com forward slash Strong Opinion Sports. There are two options. You can buy a premium cotton blend. That's $20. And you can buy a performance style shirt. It's $25. It's a more stretchy material. Uh, it's, you wear it to work out. That's a shirt I wear all the time. I'm really excited. Um, yeah, I just want to put that out there. If you want to buy a shirt, you can. Um, and order it soon because they're only available until November 25th. Okay. Uh, if you look at the first nine weeks of Monday Night Football, so far this season, as a whole... Monday Night Football has not been a great product. It hasn't been. It started off okay. Week one, you had the Broncos and the Raiders. The Raiders won 24 to 16. Oh, hey, not bad. But then week two, the Browns beat the Jets 23 to 3. And the Jets played two backup quarterbacks, Luke Falk and Trevor Simeon. It was ugly and it was a bad blowout. It wasn't fun to watch. Now, week three was a snooze fest. It was the Chicago Bears and the Washington Redskins, two miserable quarterbacks. It wasn't interesting. The Bears won 31-15. to 15. It was an ugly game. I remember watching it. I was, uh, I was on a date with my girlfriend, watching the game, taking notes, bored out of my mind. Week four, the Steelers beat the Bengals 27-3. Another awful mismatch of a game. Week five, the 49ers beat the Browns 31-3. How funny is that? The Browns have been on Monday Night Football twice this year. They blew out a team. And they got blown out. Both times, if the Browns are involved on Monday Night Football, I don't want to watch. It's not going to be a close game. Now, week six, we finally got a great ending, a controversial, really close game. The Packers beat the Lions 23-22. to There was a controversial call. Hey, you, you like the ending or not? It was interesting. It was a fun experience to watch. I enjoyed it. I was enthralled all the way through. Now, week seven was an awful game. The Patriots beat the Jets 33-0. Sam Darnold was seeing ghosts. It was a mess. Week 8 was a step in the right direction. The Steelers beat the Dolphins 24-14. to But it was Mason Rudolph and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Just another uninteresting quarterback battle. And then last week in Week 9, the Dallas Cowboys beat the Giants 37-18. The highlight of the game was when a black cat ran across the field. Monday Night Football so far this year has been a mostly awful product. A lot of blowouts. In fact, five blowouts. Three games that were within two scores. And then one really close, one of the nine Monday Night Football games so far this year was a really close game. It was the Packers and Lions, week six. It was an interesting, fun finish. 
My point is it's been a really rough year for Monday Night Football. It has. But there's a chance that Monday Night Football can redeem itself this week. This week on Monday Night Football, we have the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. It's the best defense in the NFL with the 49ers against the top NFL MVP candidate, Russell Wilson, the Seattle Seahawks quarterback. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of ESPN. I, I've, you know, man, I, I get bored. They're way too corporate for me. But I have to acknowledge they have a must-watch game on their hands Monday night. The strength, the best part about each team, the 49ers' strength is their defense. They're going to get tested by the Seattle Seahawks' offense, which is their strength. The Seattle Seahawks love to run the ball. They sometimes add an extra offensive lineman to get more push to the line of scrimmage. And here's what's really cool. The Seattle Seahawks have the firepower to attack the 49ers deep downfield. They can stretch the field vertically. They have three awesome receivers. They have DK Metcalf. They have Tyler Lockett. People will probably be mad. I mentioned DK Metcalf ahead of Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett is the number one receiver in Seattle. But they just added a number two receiver, Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon, a receiver from the Patriots. And there's some reason that the Patriots got rid of Josh Gordon. There's something fishy there. It doesn't smell quite right. Because Josh Gordon's really, really talented. And they, they clearly moved away from him. They didn't want him anymore. They got rid of him. So the Seahawks took a chance on a, a troubled player who's had a, a rough past. But I don't blame the Seahawks. I think they looked at what's going on. They said, okay, the 49ers are 8-0. We're 7-2. The 49ers defense is the best in the NFL. The, the Los Angeles Rams just added Jalen Ramsey, a shutdown corner to their roster. We have to do something to stay competitive in our division. So they brought in Josh Gordon. I love the move. It's fantastic. Gives them another receiver that can stretch the field vertically. It's like kind of horrifying, actually to think that defenses have to play against this team. And it's so funny to me, last year, one of the things Seattle Seahawks fans complained about, actually, was, we don't have a good enough receiver. We need a new receiver. Well, you got two new ones. Shut up. Stop complaining. Um, I love the way the Seahawks have used play action all year. They, they fake the run. They throw the ball deep. They stretch the field vertically. And Russell Wilson's coming off of a five-touchdown game. He leads. He's the NFL MVP race. And then you consider the 49ers defensive line. They're elite. They have D. Ford, Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, DJ Jones. You can even throw in Solomon Thomas, a former first-round pick. The point is the 49ers have a special group of pass runners on the defensive line, pass rushers on the defensive line. And then we get to watch the 49ers defensive line matched up against a crazy, elusive quarterback, Russell Wilson. Trying to watch that group of defensive linemen run after Chase and corral Russell Wilson, that's a matchup I cannot wait to watch. That's literally like the dream matchup you can think of. Because Russell Wilson is so good at you know, wriggling away from sacks and avoiding defenders and doing all kinds of crazy stuff with his legs behind the line of scrimmage to extend a play and get away from sacks. So the Seattle Seahawks and the 49ers is a dream matchup I cannot wait to watch. I also can't wait to watch the way 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo plays. Uh, this game is a big chance for him to make a statement about his career. Plus, I'm also curious, can the Seattle Seahawks defense stop the 49ers running game? Now, I will acknowledge if one team ends up blowing out the other, I believe that the 49ers would blow out the Seahawks. Here's why. The Seahawks just took overtime to beat the Buccaneers. They're not quite as good a roster as the 49ers. But they added a new receiver. I have high expectations. 
I expect Monday Night Football to be dramatic and fun. I cannot wait to watch the Seahawks and the 49ers on Monday Night Football. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, um, we'll talk about what are the we're going to talk about why I hate statistics. I have a really cool soundbite. I'm excited. It's actually like a gem. I found a, a really great soundbite. I'm so excited to play that. We'll talk about the eight great games of the NFL Week 10, and we'll talk about four great games in college football this weekend. And then later we'll do Ask Zach. Before we go to break, though, I just want to encourage you: if you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, three years ago, my younger brother took his life. It was miserable. It was awful, and it was heartbreaking. And I learned two really painful lessons when that happened. Number one is that if you're struggling, go get help. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. If you're struggling, if you're having a hard time, reach out to somebody. My brother never did. One day I walked into his bedroom, found him dead on the floor. It was miserable and awful. So I encourage you, if you're struggling and having a hard time, please don't suffer in silence. Reach out to someone in your life and go get help. That's one painful lesson I learned. The other painful lesson I learned when my brother died is... I didn't do a good enough job reaching out to him and making it clear enough that he could talk to me. So I encourage you, not only reach out if you're struggling, go get help, but if you're not struggling, and maybe you are, maybe you're not, but be very, very clear. I, I really want you to tell the people you love in your life that you care about them. Reach out to them. Your sister, your brother, your mom, your girlfriend, your friends, I don't care. Tell the people in your life how much they mean to you. I didn't do a good enough job doing that to my brother. I never made it clear that he could come talk to me and share his problems, that I was there for him. Make sure it's clear to the people in your life you're there for them. If they're struggling, they can come talk to you. If you're struggling, go get help and tell the people in your life you love them, you're there for them, you care for them. And don't be afraid to have conversations that go a little bit deeper than football, a little bit deeper than basketball, a little bit deeper than video games or movies. Don't be afraid to have awkward conversations because you might help somebody. Tell the people in your life how much you love them, and how much you care about them. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, week 10 of the NFL season has a bunch of great matchups I'm excited to watch. In fact, there are eight games I want to highlight, and I want to start on Thursday Night Football. Uh, it's between two teams that are not the most talented teams in the NFL. But I think we could have an interesting finish at the end and a close game and an emotional game that sounds really fun. It's the Chargers against the Raiders in Oakland. Two California teams from the same division. You know, the Raiders are 4-4. Four and four, The Chargers are 4-5. and five. Both are capable, though the Chargers just beat, just beat the Packers. A surprising win to me. And, uh, you know, they're both in the same division vying for a, a similar spot in that division. I think that the Raiders and the Chargers is going to be a close game, a fun game. I'm excited to watch that. Now, on Sunday, there are six really awesome matchups. I want to start with the Lions at the Bears in Chicago. Both are upper, like upper middle of the pack teams to me. Uh, they're in similar situations. The Lions are 3-4-1, and one, and the Bears are 3-5. and five. This is a must-win for both of these two teams to keep any chance at the playoffs alive. They're both you know, at the bottom of their division, the NFC North. They have to win. I'm expecting a really fun game, a close, intense battle, a bad quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, an interesting quarterback, Matthew Stafford, but a better defense on the Bears' side. I think that the Lions might win, and either way, it's going to be interesting despite the fact that Mitchell Trubisky's playing quarterback in this game, and he's kind of an eyesore to watch. <laughs> How about the Bills at the Browns? It's in Cleveland. And if you look at the stats of Bills quarterback Josh Allen, he's not awful. 
despite what Bills fans tell you, he's not great either. Passing, he has 10 touchdowns and 7 interceptions. Fine, solid. Rushing, he has 4 touchdowns and 5 fumbles. But the Bills are 6-2, and two, they're winning games. A lot of people say that Josh Allen looks better this year. I acknowledge I haven't watched a ton of film of Josh Allen. What I have seen are a couple games, and the couple games I've watched of Josh Allen, I wasn't impressed. He made some boneheaded interceptions, made some bad plays. Uh, I, I think he's had a number of... The games I must have watched must have been his bad games, I guess, because people, Bills fans keep saying, he's better, he's good, he's just fine, fair enough, okay. It's possible he had like four interceptions, three interceptions in one game, and the rest of the games have been great. But, you know, what I, what I really want to see is, uh, and actually what I expect from this game is that the Bills win. Uh, the Cleveland Browns are a sinking ship. They got to throw up the SOS flag. It's awful. Uh, they're 6-2. and two. Things are not going well. Coaching is the problem, in my opinion, in Cleveland. And the question is, can the Bills win a game they're expected to win? They should. They should go to Cleveland and take care of business. Now, another storyline in this game is that the Cleveland Browns are getting Kareem Hunt back. Not really back, but he's going to join the team now off of a suspension in Cleveland. Kareem Hunt, a really good running back. And everyone's like, oh, well, is he going to have an impact? What's going to happen with Kareem Hunt? Da, da, da. Honestly, genuinely, I believe this. I don't think the Cleveland Browns have any idea what to do with Kareem Hunt. <laughs> if you watch, in, watch the way Kareem Hunt played in Kansas City, they knew what to do with him. They used screens. They took advantage of his speed. They got him in great one-on-one matchups. They did a great job creating situations for Kareem Hunt to do his thing and be a great runner in open field, in the open field. What I've seen from Cleveland so far this year is that they don't know how to use Odell Beckham Jr., a really good, I think a very talented, despite flawed receiver. They haven't used him to create good matchups. They haven't used him to take advantage of his one-on-one ability. They haven't targeted him in important downs, third and fourth down. If the Browns have no idea how to take advantage of Odell Beckham Jr.'s skill set, why would they have any idea how to take advantage and highlight and change their offense to take advantage of Kareem Hunt's skill set? The Browns' problem is they don't adapt their offense at all to its personnel. They say, this is our system, we're running it, deal with it. That's very, it's awful coaching. <laughs> a, a good coach adapts their team, to the, adapts their offense and their playbook and adapts their play calling to fit the players on the roster. Look out for that. If you're watching the Bills and the Browns this week, look out for that. It might be hard for you to see if you're a fan don't know football that well, but it's possible that Kareem Hunt doesn't have a huge impact and Odell Beckham Jr. doesn't have a big impact because the Browns, I don't believe, have any idea how to take advantage of their talent and use it to create good matchups. They can't create plays that get them in one-on-one situations where they can use their talent to be successful. Now, the Giants and the Jets should be really, really fun. Uh, this is the battle for New York, the New York Giants against the New York Jets. Again, the word I use, I guess, is it's kind of cheesy, but it's a battle for New York. But here's what's cool is it's two teams with young quarterbacks. The Jets have Sam Darnold. The Giants have Daniel Jones. The Giants are 2-7. and seven. The Jets are 1-7, and seven. two teams that are pretty awful. But because of... The quarterbacks, because of it's New York, I think it's an interesting matchup. It'll be fun to watch. I think it'll be close, too. I do. I think the Giants are going to win. I think they have better coaching than the Jets. That's really sad to say. The Jets are a mess. But I do also believe that, you know, despite the fact I think the Giants have better coaching than, I hope I said that, the Giants have better coaching than the Jets. Despite that, 
the Jets could surprise everybody. They had a game earlier this year where they destroyed the Cowboys out of nowhere. So I wonder what Jets team is going to show up. I do. Their defense isn't bad. It could be ugly at times, but it's going to have a close finish, I believe, and a lot of a lot of drama. Chaos, drama, that's what I root for. I think the Jets and the Giants is a good game. If you want to watch it this weekend, it'll be a lot of fun. How about the Cardinals at the Buccaneers? The Cardinals are 3-5-1. and one. The Buccaneers are 2-6. and six. They are. This game is in Tampa Bay, Florida, at home for the Buccaneers. And at home, they're 0-3 this year. This is a very winnable game for the Cardinals. I want to highlight the Cardinals right now. They're a young team that's growing. They have a first-year head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, a rookie quarterback, Kyler Murray. I'm really excited to watch how the Cardinals show up to play on Sunday because I'm raising my expectations about them. They've shown a lot of promise. I like what Cliff Kingsbury's doing. I love Kyler Murray. So I'm going to raise my expectations. I expect the Arizona Cardinals to take care of business and beat the Buccaneers on Sunday. Let's see how they deliver. Let's see if they deliver. I'm excited to watch that. Now the Panthers at the Packers. Panthers are five and three. Respectable, not bad. The Packers are seven and two. And Cam Newton, the former Panthers starting quarterback, who his his future's up in the air. Cam Newton is on the injured reserve. He's out for the rest of the year. So Kyle Allen is now the Panthers quarterback to be one for the rest of the year. Now, recently the Panthers lost to the 49ers. One of their three losses was to the 49ers, and Kyle Allen got embarrassed. He did not look sharp against a really, really great defense. Now, this game against the Packers is another important test for Kyle Allen. He has many doubters. I want to do a film analysis of him soon. I really, I'm very curious. I want to watch the film. What happened against the 49ers? And I'm going to wonder, I really am curious, what's going to happen Against the Green Bay Packers, they have a good pass rush. I like their secondary. They're not awful. They're solid. They're a good defense. How does Kyle Allen handle this test against a good Packers defense? Now, my other question is, can the Packers bounce back? I would think so. It's a game in Lambeau Field. It's a good quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. He's fantastic. I like the head coach, Matt LaFleur. But for whatever reason, I didn't watch the game. I haven't seen the film. I don't know what happened. But I do know that the Packers offense struggled on Sunday against the Chargers. Can they bounce back and take care of a business against a respectable Carolina Panthers defense? I'm excited to watch. It'll be a great game. The Panthers at the Packers. Finally, the Vikings at the Cowboys. It's in Arlington, Texas. I really, really like the Cowboys here. Here's why. This is a big game. It's Sunday night football, prime time. And, you know, the Vikings are 6-3. and three. The Cowboys are 5-3. and three. Both teams need a win to keep their spot in their divisions. However, the Vikings quarterback, Kirk Cousins, has a history of wilting in big moments when he's needed. I believe it's performance anxiety. I don't think Kirk Cousins can handle the stress and pressure of a big moment with millions of eyeballs watching him. He's never exuded confidence to me And I think a lot of anxious anxiety is what leaks out of him when I watch him on the sidelines and I watch him in interviews and the things he says. He seems like a very nice human. I loved him at Michigan State. He was a captain there. He walked on. It's a great story, but Kirk Cousins has never seemed confident. There's something weird there. I think it's performance anxiety. 
And I expect this is a game the Cowboys should win. It's a home game for them. Now, it's interesting. These are two very similar teams, the Cowboys and the Vikings. They both have quarterbacks who I think are solid. Kirk can play. He's bad in big moments, but Kirk Cousins can play. He's a capable quarterback. Dak Prescott can play. He's not elite, but I really like him. Both the Vikings and the Cowboys are led by their star running backs. Dalvin Cook in Minnesota. Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas. However, I do believe the edge goes to the Vikings. They have a better defense. In spite of that, I think what's going to happen is we're going to see a play late in the game on Sunday Night Football where Kirk Cousins throws an interception or fumbles or he's not going to make it happen. Kirk Cousins, I think, will come up short on Sunday night. The Cowboys will win at home and beat the Minnesota Vikings. I predict something to go wrong with Kirk Cousins late in the game. It's sad. It's really sad, but I just see a trend. The guy has performance anxiety, if you ask me. Now, obviously, number eight, the last game uh, that's really fantastic this week is the 49ers and the Seahawks. It's on Monday Night Football. But I already did an entire topic focused on that game. It's a great matchup, of course. I had to mention it. You're going to be like, well, what about the 49ers-Seahawks game? It's in there. I talked about it. But if you want to watch my full thoughts about that game, go listen to the other topic I did about them earlier. Uh, It's fantastic. So again, those are the eight games I'm really excited to watch this week in the NFL. Okay, Um, I get a lot of heat sometimes because I don't value stats very much. Cowboys fans sent me a bunch of messages earlier this year. A lot of stuff. They kept saying, Dak Prescott leads the NFL in QBR. QBR. It's his formula. Or Vikings fans would say, Kirk Cousins has the best passer rating in the entire NFL. Three words. I don't care. I don't care. Passer rating, QBR. Congratulations. Don't care. I wish I did. I I honestly do. I know people hate that I don't care about those things. I don't. Stats are a product of your play. If you're doing well, your stats will be better. And if you're doing bad, your stats are going to be worse. But the way that people rely on stats drives me nuts. I hate it. People use stats to build entire arguments. And I'm like, there's more to football. There's more to sports than just the numbers. The numbers are a product of what you do. Statistics. Stats are a shortcut. When people don't understand football as well as other people, it helps them understand it. It gives you a tangible benchmark. That's what statistics do. They help people understand the game a little better and simplify it. But I, I, man, I'm not a fan. I'm a big believer in film. What does the film say? It's my mantra. I talk about it all the time. Every stat has a story behind it. Touchdowns, interceptions, fumbles, completion percentage. It all, there's a reason for those stats that matter. Don't just throw out the stats. Tell me why they're happening. Stats are a product of your play. They're not the absolute truth. The film says why those numbers are happening. Why matters more than the what. I don't care that a guy has 35 touchdowns. Why does he have 35 touchdowns? What is he doing that got him there? Don't just say he's talented. He's got 35 touchdowns. Tell me what he's doing on the field that got him there. That drives me nuts. I prefer to go deeper. This quarterback is moving safety with his eyes. 
He's really accurate. He's extending plays with his legs. He's got great footwork. That's why the quarterback's numbers are good. Don't just say his numbers are good. It's not enough analysis for me. It drives me nuts. I hate it. When people lean solely on stats and can't explain the story behind them, I just lose my, I just hate it. I lose my mind. Now there's a clip I found of Bill Belichick. I'm so proud of this. It's a gem. I can't wait to share it. It's Bill Belichick talking about stats. Now remember, Bill Belichick is the coach of the Patriots. He is undisputedly the best head coach of all time in the NFL. He's got, he's won six Super Bowls. He's been to nine. He's a football genius. He's the Patriots head coach. I already said that. But the question he's asked is, how have advanced analytics and numbers changed your approach to coaching throughout your career? Here's what Bill said to that about analytics and numbers. Let's say the the video part of it's probably changed more than the analytics. I mean, there was always a way to crunch the numbers, and and uh, that's how I started. My first year was just, you know, taking every play on a card, doing the ice pick on the cards, dropping the ones out that you want, and, and analyzing those. Uh, so I think you can get those analytics. Maybe be harder to get them, but you can get them. You could have got them, you know, 40, 50 years ago, just like you can get them now. Um, certainly some of the things they come up with now are interesting, but in the end, I think it, it comes a lot more back to fundamentals, blocking and tackling and throwing and catching and, and defending and hand placement and footwork and those kind of things, you know, more than it does some, you know, some interesting statistic. I mean, they're interesting, but in the end, football is more about football. <laughs> Bill Belichick doesn't care about stats at all. He talks about, hey, skills, technique, things you see on film. That's what Bill Belichick cares about. That's what he values. I'm going to follow Bill Belichick's lead and not give too much weight to statistics. They're overrated. They drive me nuts. Stop throwing stats at me. I don't care about analytics. I don't care about... I I just don't. I wish I did. I don't. Stop putting weird statistical formulas in my face. Like, we, we calculated this times this divided by this multiplied by this. I don't care. QBR, complete, you know, quarterback rating. What is that? I don't care. I watch the film. I see... If you like that stuff, great. I don't give it a lot of weight. Bill Belichick doesn't. I don't. Because as Bill says at the end of this, he says, in the end, football is more about football. (laughs) Bill Belichick's words, not mine. He says, hey, screw the stats. Football is more about football. I hate the stats. It drives me nuts that people, people always just use them to build arguments. And fantastic but stats are a product of your play. They're not the whole story. They're only part of the story. If the whole story you're telling is the numbers, you're wrong. Do a little more research. Do more analysis. Why are those numbers happening? Don't just tell me that they're happening. Numbers aren't news. The reasons for the numbers, that's news to me. I think stats are wildly overrated. They matter a little bit. They have value. But if your entire story is the numbers, that's where you lose me. I don't care. I think technique I think skill, I think the things you see on film are far more valuable and important than just the numbers themselves. Okay, uh, we have a couple of really awesome college football games this weekend. The biggest game, obviously, is number two LSU at number three Alabama. It's the two best quarterbacks in the nation, LSU's Joe Burrow and Alabama's Tua Tungvaloa. It's awesome. I hope this game will be incredible. I am really, really excited. I'm going to record it. I'm going to watch it twice because I'm a total nerd. I have high hopes for this game, but I do have a slight fear that Alabama could 
kind of wa- kind of walk away from this game extending a lead at the end. Uh, and my fear is that Alabama is going to pull away late. If you look at LSU, they barely beat Auburn last week. LSU barely beat Auburn last week. Auburn has a freshman quarterback. LSU beat Auburn 23 to 20. I am concerned. I don't think the LSU's defense can stop Alabama. Not if Tua is healthy. You know, Tua Tungavaloa, the quarterback for Alabama, had an ankle surgery a little while ago, two weeks ago. I saw a video of Tua throwing. He looks healthy. He looks fine. I really, really hope this game is a shootout. Um, but I think if one team wins lopsided, it's Alabama. I hope that LSU can keep up. I think Alabama is going to score a lot of points. The question is whether or not Joe Burrow, the LSU quarterback, can shred that Alabama defense and make it happen. And it could be that something goes wrong and it's not even Joe Burrow's fault. Joe Burrow's a great quarterback at LSU, but maybe his receivers drop passes. Maybe his offensive line struggles to block. Maybe there's a play late where it's out of Joe Burrow's control and Alabama wins that play anyways, right? Maybe there's a drop pass, whatever. A a ball gets tipped in the air. I think Alabama's going to win this game. It makes me sad. Joe Burrow's my dude. I love Joe Burrow. His story's incredible. I've talked about him for ages. He really inspires me. Alabama's got the edge here. Although, hey, I'm rooting for the underdog, LSU. I'll be honest, right? I root for good stories. Joe Burrow's an incredible story. I would love to see LSU. I know that they're ranked higher than Alabama. I would love to see LSU upset Alabama on this weekend. It'd be awesome. I don't know if that's going to happen. If they don't, it's because we've seen in the past, the, the question mark is their defense. But I really hope LSU beats Alabama this weekend. Hey, I, I honestly, I shouldn't say that. My hope is for a great game. And it'd be cool if at the end of that great, incredible matchup where it's close and intense battle all game, I'd rather LSU finish on top. But as long as we get a great matchup, that's what makes me happy. If we get a great matchup, it's close with three minutes left to go in the game and Alabama wins, I'm not going to be mad. I'm not going to be mad if Alabama blows out LSU either. I'll say, hey, I, you know, I could have seen that coming. But I just hope for drama and chaos and a close, intense, emotional game. That's what I'm rooting for overall. And then it'd be cool to see LSU, really because I like Joe Burrow, it'd be cool to see Joe Burrow finish on top at the end of that game. We also have number four Penn State at number 17 Minnesota. I I, I really expect Penn State to win. But man, this is so awesome. It's two teams that are 8-0 in the Big Ten. And I want to say, I grew up in... You know, first of all, actually, I want to say Penn State has more depth and more talent than Minnesota. But I grew up in Minnesota. I grew up in Maple Grove, Minnesota. I lived there for a couple of years as a kid. And the Minnesota Golden Gophers have been awful for years. Awful, awful, just not interesting at all. I, used to, I grew up in, I lived in Maple Grove, Minnesota as a kid, 6791 Yaka Lane. I still remember that. My mom had a jingle to remember our address. And, um, you know, now Minnesota has this new head coach, PJ Fleck. He's a couple of years. He's been there a couple of years now. He's got a new contract extension, actually. He's undefeated. He's really turned things around. He's doing phenomenal. And I love, I love, I love PJ Fleck. He doesn't apologize. He's completely himself. He owns that. He doesn't matter if you don't like him. If you don't like him, you can leave his program. So I'm really, really curious to see what happens in Minneapolis, Minnesota on Saturday. What kind of game will Minnesota have against Penn State? Minnesota's the dog, man. Penn State, number four in the country, they're expected to win this game. I expect them to win this game. And you look at the teams that Minnesota's beaten. Minnesota beat Rutgers and Illinois and Nebraska and Maryland. 
Penn State has far more impressive victories. Look at the last three games for Penn State. In the last three weeks, Penn State, in the last three games, Penn State beat Iowa, they beat Michigan, and then they killed Michigan State. So Penn State is the favorite over Minnesota this weekend, but watch that game, pay attention. I hope it's close. It's a home game for Minnesota. Two undefeated teams. I hope it's a lot of fun. I cannot wait to watch. There's another unbeaten team this weekend playing. It's Baylor. Baylor goes to, where is it? Where are they at? Fort Worth, Texas. I like Fort Worth, by the way. I think if I lived in Texas, I would live in Fort Worth. Baylor goes to Fort Worth, Texas to play TCU. Baylor's 8-0. TCU's 4-4. And Baylor fans want their team to get more respect. I keep getting messages from Baylor fans. Why aren't you talking about Baylor? Why? Okay, look, to me, I think Baylor's a, a really good team. They're 8-0. Got some respectable wins. Happy for them. They've won close games, but they, whatever. And if Baylor's legit, if Baylor's 8-0, a team that's capable of going to the college football playoff and winning a game there, if Baylor's legit, then this weekend, they're going to smack TCU. This is an opportunity for Baylor to make a statement on Saturday. It's a prove a game for Baylor. Are they a good team in Waco, Texas with Baylor? Or is Baylor a great college football team? Now, TCU might be 4-4, four and four, but they're not awful. TCU beat Texas by 10. Yeah, the same Texas team that was competitive with Oklahoma. I know that has less weight because Oklahoma lost. But, you know, this, this Baylor, this undefeated Baylor team has a lot of really narrow victories. You know, Baylor beat Iowa by 2. Excuse me, Baylor beat Iowa State by 2. Baylor beat Iowa State by 2. Baylor beat Texas Tech by three. Heck, Baylor only beat Rice by three point, by eight points. They beat Rice by a touchdown. Baylor did. This undefeated team I'm supposed to leave in. Would you ever see LSU only beat Rice by eight points? Would you ever see Oregon only beat Rice by eight points? Would you ever see Alabama only beat Rice by eight points? Would you ever see anybody in the top? There's a reason Baylor's not well believed in, right? That's the reason. I think TCU could upset Baylor, and I don't even think it'd be that much of an upset. I think they're really on level playing fields. But Baylor, if they want respect, Baylor fans keep saying, why don't you talk about our team? Why this? Why that? Okay, fine. Baylor has an opportunity this weekend. How about you nail TCU? How about you win by 30 points? You beat TCU by three touchdowns? Okay, I'll start listening to you. I think it's possible TCU beats Baylor this weekend. And then people in Baylor have to acknowledge, look, your team's not bad. You have a very good football team. I'm happy for you. But all Baylor fans want to hear is, you have the best team in the nation. You're going to win the national championship. And that's because they're un- irrational, unreasonable sports fans, like most people in college football. I think Baylor's a really good team. They're not a great team, but I'm happy for them. They have a good program. They're 8-0. They might be 9-0 after this week. I still don't, won't really change my opinion on them unless Baylor goes into Fort Worth, Texas and just beats the snot out of TCU. That'd be a statement to me. But it's also possible TCU beats Baylor, and we'd have to hear, you know, Baylor fans could shut up forever. (laughs) We'll see what happens. I'm excited. The final game I want to talk about is number 18, Iowa, heading to Camp Randall. I believe that's where it is, Camp Randall. I know Camp Randall is the stadium, which is in, I know this, it's Madison, Wisconsin. My buddy Charles went to Madison, went to UW-Madison. It's number 18, Iowa, at number 13, Wisconsin. Both teams run pro-style offenses. They run the ball a lot. Uh, And don't discount Iowa. I really like Iowa. I love their head coach, Kirk Ferentz. 
He's got a great culture in Iowa. I think if I were ever to play college football and walk on somewhere, Iowa would be one of the options because I just love their program. He's a great dude. They have, they win consistently. I really like I I do really like Iowa. Both Iowa and Wisconsin are six and two, and Wisconsin is led by their running back Jonathan Taylor. He's a Heisman candidate. And if he has a great day, if Jonathan Taylor has a great day for Wisconsin, then Iowa's in trouble. So watch that game. Iowa-Wisconsin should be fun. These are the four games, again, that I'm excited to watch this weekend and follow and track going into next week. LSU-Alabama, what happens? Will it be phenomenal? Can Joe Burrow and LSU pull off the upset and beat Alabama? Penn State-Minnesota. I just want to know how Minnesota shows up. Are they competitive? Maybe I don't think they win, but man, if they lose by three points, that's a huge, really good emotional victory for Minnesota. I know no one gives out participation trophies, but the state of the program to, to go toe-to-toe with the number four team in the nation, the Minnesota Golden Gophers, the crappy, dog-awful Minnesota Golden Gophers, if they go toe-to-toe and have a narrow loss to the number four team in the nation, Penn State, that's a huge emotional victory for the state of Minnesota. If TCU at Baylor, can Baylor prove that they're a great college football team and not just a good college football team? I don't think so, but we'll find out. And then you have Iowa at Wisconsin. Just a fun, hard-nosed, classic Big Ten football game. A lot of good stuff this weekend. I'm really excited. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do Ask Zach and call it a day. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right All right, we are back. Uh, It's time for Ask Zach. This is the way I end every single one of my podcasts. I love this segment. Uh, People who support me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month. You can give more if you want. Please do. It literally pays my bills. Um, But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions. To me, I only accept questions on Patreon. You can send it to me through a Patreon DM. You can post a, a comment on a Patreon post. And I will not guarantee to answer your question on the show if you send me one, but I do guarantee that if you send a question into Patreon, I'll look at it with my eyeballs, I'll read it, and then I pick the best couple and answer them at the end of every single episode. This is Ask Zach. I want to start today with a question. I guarantee this is the guy's real name. It's MoneymakerJR44TV. That sounds like a first name, right? Yeah. Money, money, Moneymaker JRTV Sherman. That's probably his full name right there. <laughs> Uh, that's a bad joke. Okay, don't, don't laugh at me. I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to entertain you folks. Uh, he writes in, he says, Hey, Zach, love your channel. I'm a 19-year-old from San Diego who loves football, the analyst side of football, but I couldn't play due to an injury. Well, can you do a video on Anthony Gordon out of Washington State? I love his story. I think he's the best quarterback in this draft. He scans the field at an elite level. His vision of coverage is elite. He's got a 7, of arm, seven, seven out of 10 arm talent. But he's the best quarterback in the draft, throwing to a spot in zones, back shoulder, timing routes. Again, I love your show and would love it if you talk, love to talk about football and college prospects with you anytime. Um, he also said that, you know, Moneymaker JR44 TV also said that Anthony Gordon, the Washington State quarterback, best fits with the Chargers, the Redskins, or the Saints. That's a weird mix. They have nothing in common. Uh, I mean, no, respectfully, man, I, I very much disagree. Uh, Anthony Gordon, the Washington State quarterback, in my opinion, is very, very far from the best quarterback in this year's NFL draft. I wouldn't even put it. I don't think I, I would even draft him at all. I, I'm not a big fan. Um, I'm very, very close to the Washington State program. Uh, I used to work there. Uh, I did a lot of film for them on the sidelines. 
Uh, I called a game uh, for Washington State earlier this year. I called the Washington State-Utah game. I'm actually going to Cal Berkeley this weekend to call Washington State versus Cal. I'm really connected to that program. And let me tell you, there is no shot that Anthony Gordon is an NFL quarterback. Here's why. He's a terrible, terrible leader with a bad attitude. It sounds like I'm bitter. I'm not. Uh, I just say I observed something awful when I watched the Utah game. Washington State got punched in the mouth. Utah was phenomenal. They had a good game plan, and they had some success against Washington State. And Anthony Gordon just keeled over. Instead of fighting back, Anthony Gordon gave up. Anthony Gordon had horrible body language. He was mopey and sad, didn't talk to any. He's alone on the sidelines, hanging his shoulders. He wasn't fighting. He wasn't encouraging anybody. I was so deterred from Anthony Gordon um, I, I don't think he's that physically. He's not incredible. He's a Mike Leach quarterback, and it's rare for a Mike Leach quarterback to succeed in the NFL anyways. Gardner Minshew succeeded at it from Mike Leach's system, but Gardner Minshew is a, an anomaly and a rare prospect. He's, I think, the only Mike Leach quarterback I can think of. I'm sure there's another one, but I can't think of another Mike Leach quarterback other than Gardner Minshew, who is successful in the NFL to any degree. I understand that you look at you know, Anthony Gordon, you see a lot of highlights. You see the physical tools. He's got a great arm. He does. Um, but you got to compare him. To, you can't compare him to, to Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is a much better leader and has much higher character than Anthony Gordon. Anthony Gordon is not a great leader. And here's the problem with Mike Leach. He doesn't value leadership. Mike Leach doesn't value leadership at the quarterback position. It's, if you follow Mike Leach, it's very interesting. Uh, he's weird with captains. He only picks one. He doesn't pick captains based on leadership. He picks captains based on who he thinks can win a coin toss. He's a weird coach who, in my opinion, I don't think Mike Leach values leadership. He doesn't recruit quarterbacks that are great leaders uh, to the most part. Some, some of them are, but that's not, he, he just happens to get good leaders. That's not his goal when he recruits somebody. Um, and so, I, again, I, I think you look at Anthony Gordon, you see the stats, you see the highlights, but what I saw from him on the sideline Watching the Utah-Washington State game was a guy who just did not impress me as a leader, who didn't encourage his teammates, was mopey, gave up. Uh, for that reason, I am far, I am completely out on Anthony Gordon. He's also not that physically impressive. Like, he doesn't work hard in the weight room. I just am I'm very much not impressed with Anthony Gordon. I'm sorry to burst a bubble. I mean no offense. Uh, Tua is way better than Anthony Gordon. Joe Burrow is way better than Anthony Gordon. Justin Herbert is way better than Anthony Gordon. Leadership and who you are matters. And I, I don't think that Anthony Gordon has the mental fortitude to handle success and a lack of a lack of success, to handle failure enough to succeed in the NFL. There's no way Anthony Gordon has the mental makeup and the mental fortitude to succeed and become an NFL quarterback. I know that's very personal. That might offend some people. I'm close to that program. I am very much not impressed with Anthony Gordon. Okay, Jackson wrote in. Uh, I'll read that at the end, actually. Kenny writes in and says, These days, it seems like a lot of quarterbacks in particular are being thrown into the Hall of Fame conversation. Since the game has been so focused on the passing game in recent years, and considering that this trend is not slowing down, stats for quarterback mean a lot less than they used to. Obviously, guys like Brady, Rodgers, and Russell Wilson deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. One day and will be. But guys like Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers, and Eli Manning are routinely elevated to the same status by the media. Do you think that the media is too quick to call NFL quarterbacks future Hall of Famers? 
especially given your comments about Julian Edelman not being a Hall of Famer in your eyes, I'm curious to hear your take. Uh, the Hall of Fame has become a very easy talking point for the media. It's disappointing, but it's true. It's a time filler. If you have nothing else to talk about, oh, let's talk about that retired guy from like five years ago. Is he a Hall of Famer? Is he a Hall like, It's just a debate that's ongoing that people go back to when there's nothing else to talk about. It's annoying and sad. You know, I'm, I'm really lucky and, and very grateful that my show is on YouTube. So I don't have, I don't need to have a three hour show. I can have an hour and a half show someday. Some days my show is 53 minutes. Some days my show is three hours. I can do whatever I want. There's no time limits or restrictions on my show. So I don't ever need to fill time. People on television, people on the radio, they need to fill time. So they come up with really crappy topics like, is this guy a Hall of Famer? And I've really disingenuine, boring debates about players that have no chance. Here's my rule. My rule and my policy when it comes to comes to Hall of Famers. If you're not sure if whether or not a guy's a Hall of Famer, then he's not. Jerry Rice, you go, absolutely, Jerry Rice is a Hall of Famer. You go, is Larry Fitzgerald a Hall of Famer? Yeah, absolutely. And then you go, is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? And you go, ah, nope, he's not. If you have to think and you have to pause and question, he's not. It's, it's like when, when I buy shoes or if I buy pants or I clo- with clothes, I'm always this way. If I'm not absolutely certain I love the clothes, I don't buy them. I'm like, ah, nope, I'm not going to pull the trigger. I hope that doesn't hurt my t-shirt sales. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I just, I, that's my philosophy with Hall of Famers. And I think absolutely people bring up you know, Hall of Famer too often. It drives me nuts. I just realized something I wanted to talk about earlier that I didn't put in the show. Um, it's going to be old news by the time I get to it. Um, you know, the NBA right now has a, a problem where Kawhi Leonard and other stars are sitting out of games. And I think the smart NBA stars, I said NFL, I might have been NBA. The NBA has a problem where players like Kawhi Leonard are sitting out of nationally televised games. The NFL's, and the NBA is really mad about it. I got to stop saying NFL. The NBA, for the final time, I'm going to try this again. The NBA is got a really big problem right now where they're frustrated with their players sitting out of NBA games. My solution is, well, uh, my, my response to this is the NBA has far too many games to begin with. The smart NBA players rest. The smart NBA players don't play. The reason why Kawhi Leonard was sitting out a nationally televised game the other day is because he realizes this is a long haul. I need to rest and take care of myself. I'm not playing right now. I don't care about winning games in October, in November, in December. When does Kawhi Leonard want to win basketball games? I mean, he wants to win games every night. Don't get me wrong. But if Kawhi Leonard wants to take a night off in November, I got no problem with that. I, and maybe you can say, hey, Kawhi, can you take the night off when it's not a nationally televised game? That's fine. I understand that. But the reason why NBA players are taking games off is because they don't want to be exhausted when they get to the playoffs. The player is loyal to his goals. Kawhi Leonard is loyal to his goals. The player is not loyal to the NBA's, the NBA's nationally televised schedule. They don't care about that. I just wanted to bring that up. I, I had that thought today, and I, I just wanted to defend Kawhi Leonard. If he wants to sit out a game to take care of his health and make sure that he's good when the playoffs come around, that's what he should do. Kawhi Leonard, you can't ask Kawhi Leonard to be worried about, uh, this game's nationally televised, so you can't... Shut up. Get out of here. I understand that hurts your ratings. I understand that it's frustrating for you. But Kawhi Leonard's goal is to win and win in the playoffs. Kawhi Leonard's goal is not to satisfy the NBA's you know, television ratings in November. 
I just want to bring that up. I, I thought of that earlier, and it, it just kind of hit my soul. I was like, I should talk about that. Kevin G writes in. Kevin says, hey, Zach, I love the content that you've been putting out lately. Keep up the good work. In a recent podcast, you mentioned that you like hockey. I do. I love hockey. Um, Kevin says, since you mentioned that you used to be a Mariners fan and that live in the North, that you live in the Northwest, I would like to know what you think of the new NHL expansion team coming to Seattle. Uh, first of all, I got to say, I really love the Portland Winterhawks. They're a, a WHL team, a junior league team. They're so much fun. I love their games. I love going to hockey is the greatest. It's like, oh my gosh, it's loud. Guys hit the boards. I've said it over and over again. If you ever get the chance to go to a hockey game, please do it. Go learn, learn the rules a little bit. It's fun. If you understand hockey, what's going on, it's such a blast to go to a hockey game. And, uh, you know, it's just an incredible, awesome sport to watch live. There's a population in Seattle that are going to go watch games and it's going to be awesome. And the way that the expansion draft works in the NHL could really help them. You know, the, the Vegas Golden Knights had a, won a championship in their first year because the expansion helped them get a good team together. I'm curious if that could happen for the Seattle, whatever the team. We don't know the name of the team yet. In January, during the NHL All-Star break, the ownership and management group of the Seattle NHL team is going to announce the name of the team. I'm excited to see that. Um, and I just, uh, it's just going to be awesome. I hope that people go, if I lived there, I would go to Seattle, whatever their NHL team uh, team name is. Uh, but my point is that I don't have much of a reaction other than it's awesome. It's really cool. They could be good quickly because of the expansion and um, expansion draft. And if you're in Seattle and you're not sure if you like hockey, learn a little bit of the rules and then go to a game because I, I I really promise you it's a good exp- get a beer go with your friends go with your buddies go yell enjoy the sounds the sights of hockey going to hockey games is awesome and I really really enjoy it. Okay, Calvin writes in. Calvin says, "Hey Zach, I'm a big fan of the show. I've been a big fan of Pat McAfee for about a year, and finding your show to be an ex- Hey Zach, well, this is really well, English is hard, man. I tell you, it's hard to read aloud, and this is." confusing so and calvin says hey zach i'm a big fan of of the show i've been a fan of pat mcafee for about a year and find your show to be an excellent compliment to his in the sphere of youtube sports shows that makes me happy someone's comparing me to pat mcafee oh that's awesome hope we pass them in youtube subscribers someday <laughs> no, no, i know hey if pat mcafee ever hears this i would love to be on his show he's an awesome dude um i, I try not to watch too much of his stuff because it's easy to let his opinions create mine and I just avoid that but I do I respect him a lot he's a good he's a really good broadcaster I think he's I think he's really the best uh in in the sphere of the sports world because he's honest he doesn't have an agenda he's just being himself he's having fun with it and he he breaks the fourth wall all the time which is what I love as a viewer of television and a viewer of content Uh, I love when Pat McAfee broadcasts games he does such a good job so the question that Calvin asks he says I'm from Washington, but currently in school at Boise State University, and I'm an avid fan of our Broncos. A few weeks ago, you talked about how the Pac-12 is awesome in a bubble, and I absolutely agree, and honestly feel even more so about the whole group of five intrigue. I really wish that we had a college football playoffs just for the best group of five teams. What are your thoughts on Boise State's, the UCFs, and SMUs of the world? Um, Calvin, you're right, man. The, so my, what I talked about is if you just watch the Pac-12 in a vacuum and you never, ever watched any other national football around the world, you would love that. You would think the Pac-12 is incredible. When you compare the Pac-12 to Alabama, it's not the same. But the Pac-12 playing each other is, is phenomenal. There's great matchups every weekend. Games are close. They're intensive. If you just watch Pac-12 football, it's a great time. 
And it's the same way with the group of five. Uh, the, the, the conference I want to lift up today and really talk about is the American Athletic Conference. These are the notable teams in the AAC. They have Navy, who's seven and one, Memphis, who's eight and one, SMU, who's eight and one, Houston, who's three and six. I know Houston's not a good team this year, but they got a new coach, Dana Holgerson. They have a, an interesting quarterback situation. I can't tell if Jarrett King, their quarterback, is going to stay or leave, but I do think Houston's going to be good next year. They're building a program. Pay attention to Houston. They had that heartbreaking loss to Tulane earlier in the year. It hurt them, but I believe, and I think Pat McAfee actually broadcast in that game. Uh, they did. I watched it. That was fun. That's cool. I watched that game. That was that crazy finish. Um, and then Cincinnati's 7-1. and one. Cincinnati out of the AAC, their one loss this year is to Ohio State. Cincinnati's fantastic. They have a great head coach, Luke Fickle. And then, of course, University of Central Florida, UCF, the former, whatever, the national championship. Shut up. I hate that. But the national championship, the national champions, uh, UCF, they're 7-2. and two. The AAC has four teams ranked. It's five. Four teams ranked in the college football playoff rankings right now. In the top 25, they have Cincinnati at number 20. Memphis at 21, Navy at 24, and SMU at 25. For a group of five conference, they are phenomenal. The AAC is the best of the group of five conferences, and they're honestly, I I think they're competitive with some of the Pac-12 schools and some of the the Big 12 schools. In fact, a lot. the, The best of the AAC is significantly better than the worst of any of the Power 5 conference schools the AAC deserves respect. Again, Navy, Memphis, SMU, Cincinnati, UCF. I think Houston's going to be good next year. There's a lot of really good high-quality programs in that conference that deserve respect. Um, and what I can't wait to watch this, this uh, coming bowl season is uh, I know that we're going to watch the playoff. The two things I'm looking forward to coming up in the college football you know, bowl season and once the regular season is over is the AAC, whoever wins that conference, will be really fun to watch. The, the college football playoff will be fun. The New Year's Bowl games will be fun. But then I'm going to follow the, these one, two, three, four, five teams out of the American Athletic Conference, Memphis, Navy, SMU, Cincinnati. What bowl games do they play in and what happens? Because we could see Cincinnati upset a Power 5 team. Cincinnati's a really good quality football team with well-coached guys who listen and are, are just they, behave, they just do a great job. I almost said behave, but they just really listen to Luke Fickle. They do their job. It's a phenomenal program at Cincinnati. I can't wait to watch the AAC football teams, the American Athletic Conference football teams, play in bowl games and surprise a lot of people when they beat Power 5 conference teams. I think it's going to be awesome and really fun. Uh, that's a narrative I'm excited to watch this year once the regular season in college football is over. Okay, uh, Brandon wrote in. I, uh, Brandon had a very simple question, but I liked it a lot. Brandon says, What's your prediction for the NFC West? So my prediction is that the 49ers win. End of story. Move on. Not kidding. I would never do that. Uh, a bad joke. Uh, so I, what I did is I went through every, every, uh, every team schedule and I picked the remaining games for the NFC West and what I think is going to happen. So in my opinion, the Seattle Seahawks right now are 6-2. and two. In week 10, they have this incredible Monday night football game against the 49ers. I think they're going to lose that. Then the Seattle Seahawks go into a bye week before they play the Eagles. I think they, they beat the Eagles coming off of a bye week. Week 13, the Seahawks play the Vikings in prime time. Kirk Cousins, the Vikings quarterback, is bad in prime time. I think he struggles. The Seahawks win that game. 
Week 14, the Seahawks play the Rams. I know that the, the Rams added Jalen Ramsey, but the Seahawks receivers are so overwhelming and good. And I think the Rams offensive line is going to struggle. The Rams lose to the Seahawks. Week 15, the Panthers, the Seahawks, the Seahawks go to the Panthers. I think they lose a tough road game. Week 16, I think the Seahawks lose to the Cardinals at home. I know that's weird, but the Seahawks have a, a knack for losing games to the Cardinals and then just lose weird games in general. And then the week 16, or week 17, the last week of the year, I believe that the 49ers are going to rest their starters and the Seahawks win. In my opinion, the Seahawks are going to finish 11-5 and five on the year. And I might not have predicted correctly which games they're going to lose. They could interchange a loss with the Cardinals for a loss against the Vikings or the Eagles or whatever. Um, but I think 11-5 and five is, I'm very confident that's the record that the Seattle Seahawks are going to finish with at the end of the year. Now, the 49ers. The 49ers are undefeated right now. In Week 10 on Monday Night Football, I think they're going to beat the Seahawks. I think Week 11, they're going to beat the Cardinals. I think, however, it's not going to be as close as it was last time. Last time, the Cardinals and the 49ers played, it was on a Thursday Night Football, which uh, Thursday Night Football games are kind of weird because you have less time to prepare. It's more about physical talent. It's your dudes against our dudes. And, uh, you know, the the 49ers were caught by the Cardinals, and uh, the Cardinals had a good showing. I think this time, the second time, week 11, when the Cardinals play the 49ers, I think 49ers are going to crush the Cardinals. They have a great defense. I like what the Cardinals are doing. I love Kyler Murray. I love Cliff Kingsbury. But I think that's a win for the, the 49ers. Week 12 is a really hard-fought game between the Packers and the 49ers. I think the 49ers win that game. You know, the Packers' offense has been inconsistent at times. I don't know that the Packers have a good enough offense. I know they have Aaron Rodgers, who's fantastic. I just think that highly of the 49ers defense. I think the 49ers beat the Packers week 13. I think the 49ers go to Baltimore and lose. It's a tough game. It's a road game. And Lamar Jackson's really hard to scheme against. He just is so different from other NFL teams. It kind of reminds me of when teams play, you know, the the armed forces games and the armed forces schools run a triple option. And you don't play anything like that on your schedule all year. And so you're kind of caught off guard. That's what the Ravens could do to the 49ers. I think the Ravens beat the 49ers week 13. I think week 14 the 49ers lose to the Saints. The Saints are a very similar team to the 49ers. The Saints just have a better quarterback, Drew Brees. I think it's going to be a great game. It's going to be really close to the end. But I think the Saints win a really close game at home in New Orleans over the 49ers in Week 14. Week 15 is an, you know, the Falcons are bad. I think it's an easy win for the 49ers. Week 16, the Rams are average and 49ers win that game. And then I think Week 17, the 49ers rest their starters and the Seahawks beat them I think the 49ers finished the year 13-3. and three. And uh, the reason why you rest your starters in Week 17 is uh, you don't want to put too much on tape for the Seattle Seahawks to prepare to. If you play the Seahawks Week 17, right, the last week of the year, I hope I said Week 17, you play the Seahawks last week of the year, and they're 11-5, and five, you're 13-3, and three, you're both going to make the playoffs. There's a good chance you play the Seahawks again in a couple weeks. You rest your starters. You don't put anything interesting on film. You play, run very vanilla schemes and hope that the Seahawks tip their hand to something they're going to do in the playoffs. So I see the 49ers finishing 13-3, and three, the Seahawks finishing 11-5. and five. I think the Cardinals, they're right now, the Cardinals are 3-5-1. and one. Here's what I think is going to happen the rest of their schedule. Uh, the Week 10, the, the Cardinals play at the Buccaneers. I think they're going to win. The Bucs are 6-2. and two. The Cardinals are, a build, are building a really good franchise. The Cardinals win that game, in my opinion. Week 11, they, I think they lose to the 49ers. It's a tough game. Uh, the 49ers have a lot longer to prepare than last time. Last time they caught them on a Thursday night football game. I think the 49ers lose to, I think the 49ers, excuse me, beat the Cardinals. Week 12, the Cardinals have a bye week. 
And then week 13, the Cardinals play the Rams. They're coming off a bye week. They have more time to prepare. And I think that the Cardinals beat the Rams. And I think in the end, they're going to split the series with them. The Cardinals beat the Rams once. The Rams beat the Cardinals once. Week 14, I think the Steelers beat the Cardinals. It's the NFL. I think the Steelers aren't terrible. When I say it's the NFL, it's that it's it's really competitive. Teams are very close. And you just you tend to lose games like this. There's unpredictable games you lose. I think the Cardinals are going to lose to the Steelers week 14. I think week 15, the Cardinals beat the Browns. It'll be fun. It'll be Baker Mayfield versus Kyler Murray. With the Cardinals have better coaching, the Cardinals will beat the Browns week 15. Week 16 at Seattle. Um, I have the Cardinals beating the Seahawks in Seattle. This is likely wrong, um, but I already predicted the Seahawks to, to beat them. And I to get the Seahawks to 11-5, and five, which I think is their final record, I had to pick the Cardinals to beat the Seahawks. So this is what I predict. Um, and I have, you know, instead of the Seahawks going 12 and four, they go 11 and five because of this game, they lose to the Cardinals and week 17. Uh, I believe they go to LA against the Rams and they lose because I have the Rams and the Cardinals splitting the series against each other. In the end, I have the Cardinals finishing seven, eight and one, which is not bad. It's year one with a new coach. They have a rookie quarterback. I think seven, eight and one is a realistic record to finish with if you're the Cardinals and that'd be a not bad year. The Rams are five and three, and uh, I have them winning week 10 at Pittsburgh against the Steelers. It's an ugly game. I think the Rams win because Jalen Ramsey, a shutdown corner, is going to make some kind of impact play at the end of the game. He's going to pick off Mason Rudolph or shut down Mason Rudolph and make it hard for him to throw the ball. I think Jalen Ramsey has a big impact on the game against the young Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph week 10. I believe the Rams beat the Bears week 11. The Rams have a better quarterback. I have no faith in Mitchell Trubisky, the Bears quarterback. I understand the Bears have a better defense, but hey, I think Mitchell Trubisky against Jalen Ramsey, it's a horrible matchup. He's going to screw up throwing the interception, maybe multiple. The Rams beat the Bears week 11. I believe that the Rams are going to lose to the Ravens week 12. I just, I believe a lot in Lamar Jackson. I think Lamar Jackson's phenomenal, and I think he's going to beat the Rams. Week 13, I have uh, the Cardinals beating the Rams. The Cardinals are coming off of a bye week. It's in Arizona. Uh, I think in the end, they're going to split the series with the Cardinals. Week 14, I have the Seattle Seahawks beating the Cardinals. Week 15, at the Cowboys. Well, I say the Cardinals. I meant the, I meant the Rams. I think the Rams lose to the Seahawks week 14. Now, here's a surprising game that's going to shock a lot of people. Week 15, in Dallas, oh, I guess Arlington, Texas, I have the Rams beating the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas. It's an upset. I think the Rams have better coaching they have a shutdown corner, Jalen Ramsey. I believe the Rams are going to upset and beat the Dallas Cowboys week 15. Again, better coaching, a better defense. I'm excited to watch that. I think the Rams are going to beat the Cowboys week 15. Week 16, I think the 49ers beat the Rams. The 49ers are incredible. It'll be a closer game than people think because the Rams are not awful. They, again, have good coaching and a solid roster, but it's the 49ers. The 49ers are unbelievable. I think the 49ers beat the, uh, beat the Rams week 16. In week 17, I have the Rams beating the Cardinals because I think it's a home game for the Rams. I have the Cardinals and the Rams. They're similar teams. And I think the Cardinals split the series with the Rams this year, one and one. They lose one and they win one. I have the Rams finishing nine and seven. So if you kept up with that, my final prediction for the NFC West is the 49ers going 13 and three, winning the division. The Seattle Seahawks going 11 and five, getting second place in the division and making the playoffs. I have the Rams going 9-7, and seven, and the Arizona Cardinals going 7-8-1, and one, which is a respectable year 
and not bad for a first-year head coach and a rookie quarterback. Okay, before I go and end the show, I want to read one more thing. It's from Jackson. Jackson writes in and says, Hey, Zach, just saw the Brandon Allen podcast and saw Ryan's message about the Get Help segment, and I had to let you know. It's one of the best parts of the show for me. I personally am not struggling or have been recently. But, but up until two years ago, suicide and depression was, an always, was always an issue and until I made the choice to be tired of being sad and decided to start changing my life for the better. Again, I'm not struggling anymore. But this segment always reminds me of how far I've come. Jackson, thank you for sharing that. I get a lot of hate sometimes for having the if you're struggling, go get help segment. Again, if you don't like it, you can skip it. But it's very important. I do try to keep it you know, under like two minutes because I, I try to get to the point. But it matters. It's a very important message to share. Hey, if you're struggling, go get help. Tell the people in your life you love them. I'm so happy about that. Um, I apologize. I forgot to include a, you know what, I have one. I have a, a thing from Pedro, if I can find it. I forgot to include a story about from someone about how they became a fan of their favorite team. I know I have two prepared. Let me see if I can find one of my... Hold on. I know you're listening to the podcast. I think I can find this real quick. If I can't, I'll give up. Oh, come on. Oh, I have so many messages, man. This is crazy. And Kenny said, I mean, awesome. Thanks for DMing me. Uh, Kevin G's great. Matt Fine, hello. Pedro. Bam. Oh, he's a Falcon. I already talked about that one. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Okay. Pedro writes in. I found it. I'm so glad. Oh man, I thought we were gonna have a I thought we were gonna do an Ask Zach segment and not get in a story about how someone became a fan of their favorite team. Pedro writes in, he says, Hi Zach. Love the show and love the segment about how people became their team's fans. And I think I got a pretty good one. So here it goes. I'm from Portugal. And my first contact with American football was Madden 08. I had a lot of PS2 games. And I used to buy games that I didn't even care for, like buying Madden, when I haven't even watched one down of football. I knew nothing about football, so I just have fun throwing Hail Marys every play. That's funny. And I like the Falcons because for some reason I thought I knew Roddy White's name from somewhere, even though I'm pretty sure I didn't know him and have no idea why that name was so familiar. Now, fast forward to 2011 or 2012. At this point, I watched some Falcons game and I'm still playing with them in Madden 11. By the way, dude, Pedro, I spit everywhere. Madden 11 is the best Madden game of all time. I have never bought a new, actually, I bought a new Madden. I hate it. I still play Madden. Whenever I do play Madden, I play Madden 11 on the PS3. It's the greatest Madden game ever created. I love, there's a playbook. I use the Seattle Seahawks playbook. I know it by heart. No, it's the Washington Redskins playbook. Excuse me. I use the Washington Redskins playbook. I know it by heart. I love it. It's phenomenal. Oh, man, I guarantee I can beat anybody. In Madden 11, I can dominate you easily. I know that game so well. I know the movement. I love Madden 11. Anyways, <laughs> total tangent. Didn't you say that? Uh, I still had fun with the Falcons playing Madden 11, actually playing football, not just Hail Marys anymore. Congratulations, you learned football. Pedro says, my dad went to Detroit for a business meeting and met a coworker called Dick Reynolds, who turned out to be Garrett Reynolds, right guard for the Falcons at the time, uncle. So he met... Garrett Reynolds, the Falcons right guard's uncle, which is really cool. So Mr. Dick Reynolds told me that he'd asked Garrett to send me something Falcons related. A few weeks later, I got a football with a Falcons logo on it, signed by most of the roster, most notably Julio, Roddy White, and Asante Samuel, and notably missing Matt Ryan and Michael Turner in the mail. So he got a signed football in the mail. After that, I've obviously been a huge Falcons fan as well as the Braves, the Hawks, and the Thrashers. 
and very briefly before they moved fan. And Thrashers just very briefly before they moved fan. Okay, saying so Thrashers moved. Who are the Thrashers? I should are they hockey? Why I shouldn't know that, shouldn't I? It's it's probably hockey. I don't know. Atlanta Thrashers. Never heard of that team in my life. The life of a fan. Life is funny sometimes. Sorry for the long message. I hope you liked it. Love the good videos and keep up, keep it up and have a good one from Portugal. So this guy got a crazy story where his dad ran into someone who knew a Falcons player who is on his favorite team and got the guy assigned football with a bunch of Falcons players. That's really cool, man. Uh, I'm glad you watched the show from Portugal. That's crazy. That's awesome. Um, and uh, I really appreciate you, Pedro. Thank you so much for your support. It means the world to me. Guys, I love you so much. I love doing this show. It's truly my passion. It's my favorite thing in the world. I hope you guys are proud. I try to make you guys proud and give you guys great content. Uh, now, to end the show, playing us out, it's my favorite song right now. This is Almost Blonde and their single, Wasted Time. Have a great day. I love you so much and take care. As I jump in the deep So you can learn from my mistakes And cut the weight from your feet I was once like you And you'll be just like me Don't mistake me for somebody That you shouldn't believe Do you remember the person That you aspired to be? Well he packed up his bags And he's ready to leave It's on the brink It's time to think of what you want to achieve Cause there's a different path For the life you need If it was easy Everybody would have followed your lead And you will get no respect Until you start to succeed And people still are gonna catch you Just to watch you bleed Take it from the old man Who used to walk in your feet time.